Everybody stand up. I was kidding. So, um, you know, we, I was praying to the Lord and asking, what is it that he would have me share? And, you know, I, you, you turn on the news today, and we're not going to go into details because all you got to do is turn on the news, and it's pretty depressing of, of what we see. Um, not surprising, right? Because we know that in the, the latter days, we're going to see what we're going to see. We're going to experience the things that are going on. But it, it's still, it's difficult to see the hatred, right? It's difficult to watch people destroy one another over the most ridiculous things, whether it's skin color or religion or political parties, I mean, just the most, it's difficult to watch. And it's literally destroying society. And then we think about the church. Why does the Lord have his church, his body, here today for such a time as this? What is our role? You know, what part do we play in all of this, and are we, you know, reflecting on where we are in our walk? Are we contributing to the problem? Are we part of the problem? Are we part of the solution? Are we doing the will of God? Are we falling after the things and trying to put God in a some point in our life, but not fully surrender? Like, where where are we? And so... When I was praying, I just happened to get the word, the book of Jude, which is about the apostasy of the church. So, not an easy subject to talk about, not an easy, not an easy subject to even read or think about. Um, matter of fact, it's, it's often regarded as um, not really having any theological background. Um, it's not even taught very much in universities or the seminary. It's, uh, you know, it is a general epistle. It was written around 80, 64. But I, you know, we, we don't hear a lot about the book of Jude. Maybe somebody will reference it once in a while, a verse or two. But truly, how often do we hear it being taught? And it's neglected, um, you know. It's but it's a beautiful book. It's hard, but it's a reminder that we all need to hear. Um, and so we're gonna we're gonna talk about it today. So again, the book was written around sixty four or eighty sixty four. Um, the author is Jude. Now there is, when you, if you read any commentary, there is some commentary that suggests that maybe it wasn't Jude, but somebody else. You know, the, I think part of that confusion maybe is that the Jude or Judah in Hebrew or Judas in Greek, it means thanksgiving or praise, but it's a very common name. Um, but in the beginning of the chapter, the first verse, it says, the writer is Jude. So the writer is Jude. Um, 
And again, it, it, the book itself contends with the apostasy that began creeping into the early church, although it's, it's obviously for us today, because we see that as well. You know, it doesn't take long. You know, think about when this book was written, 64 AD. It doesn't take long for man to twist the word of God, to twist the truth, to start removing things, to start adding things. And so, you know, we see that more and more prevalent today. And we're going to talk about kind of what that looks like for us as the church, what that looks like for everything else. But even as we talk about these things, we're reminded even in this book that God is still present. He still gives us a way. But he uses men like Jude to kind of pierce our hearts that we would hear what we need to hear. And again, it's not easy. It's not easy here, and it's not easy to talk about it. Um, you also will hear the book of Jude is lacking really any theological discussion, even, again, even the, to the extent how it relates to what's taught. Um, others will say that the, the book has a harsh tone. I can see that. Has a stinging message. It does, but it does for a reason. And it's because it's in relation to the body. And I believe that this, above many other things, is the reason why we don't hear this being taught in the pulpits today. Why it's not taught even in the seminary. You know, nothing against the seminary. Well, I'm not going to go there. We're not going to neglect this book. Um, the modern day church, or really the church in general, we don't want to hear these things. We don't want to discuss these things. We don't want to pray about these things. Um, we don't even really want to repent from where we really are. But we need to talk about it. We're going to talk about it. And as we kind of go through these words in these verses, these aren't my words, these aren't our words, these are the words that were given to Jude by the Holy Spirit. And so asking, let's lay aside those things that we get hung up on. And I'm asking that we really approach these words as a child, maybe the first time that we're hearing them, and allow the Holy Spirit to transform us um, into what he would have for us. Before we read his word, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you once again just so thankful for this opportunity you've given us, Lord. We thank you for your word. Lord, it cleanses, it directs, it guides, it warns, it instructs, it corrects. Lord, there's so many things that your word is. And so we pray now, Lord, that you would allow your word to sink deep into our hearts, to open our eyes, to prick our hearts. Our ears would be in tune to what you would have. And Lord, that we would leave this place transformed, renewed, reminded, Lord, of where we are, truly, in you, 
and where you would have us be. And that we would leave this place, Lord, beginning that journey once again, Lord, to serve you in complete surrender, obedient to the calling, and Lord, that we would set aside the things, Lord, that we have put in between you and your calling. So Lord, we just, we ask that your Holy Spirit minister to us now, that you would give us revelation to the words that we were about to hear, and that you would be honored and glorified. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Does anybody not have a Bible? If you don't have a Bible, we ask that you raise your hand. If you don't own a Bible, this, your, this Bible is for yours to keep. So, the book of Jude. Not in the Old Testament. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. To those who are called, sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning the common salvation, our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation. Ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. But I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe, and the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode. He has reserved an everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise also these dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority, speak evil of dignitaries, Yet Michael the archangel, contending with the devil when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these speak evil whatever they do not know, and whatever they know naturally like brute beasts in these things they corrupt themselves. Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, have run greedily in the air of Balaam for profit, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. These are spots in your love feasts. While they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves, they are clouds without water, carried about by the winds, late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming up their own shame, wandering stars from whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of the saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them 
of all their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in ungodly way. And of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lust. And they have mouths, great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. But you, beloved, remember the words which are spoken before the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. How they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lusts. These are sensual persons who cause divisions, not having the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, making for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And on some have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments defiled by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. Speak to us now. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Wow. These words, this is why we don't like the book of Jude. (laughs) Except for that last part. The last part's good. Everything else in between... Now, this is something that we need. This is a warning, and it's a reminder that we all need, all of us. We'll see within the reading that Jude, who is a half-brother of of Jesus, and James, even in the book of James, we see the same thing. Neither one of these men used their relationship with Christ to further their point. In fact, you'll see that as they approach these things, they said that they're the half-brother of, you know, Jude said he's the half-brother of James. James says he's the half-brother of Jude, never making any reference to their relationship. Because this is a position of humility, surrender, obedience, and thanksgiving. And Jude, when he begins this epistle, in humility by placing himself in a much lower place than Jesus. And he does this by saying that he is a bondservant of Jesus. He serves him. He is indebted to him. Owes him his life and everything, as we all do. The letter is written to the church. It's interesting, when you read these words, it doesn't sound like it, does it? it sounds like it's written to people who are lost in their way. It's written to the church. The church, we are sanctified by God the Father, preserved in Jesus Christ. The church, as we all know, it is nothing more than a group of individuals. We talked about this before. Some of these individuals are families. The group of families becomes the church. 
And when you think about this, in this instance, uh, in reference to the body of Christ, it's void of any denomination. There's no sect. There's no pet doctrines. These are followers of Christ. And Jude says, mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. This is only possible if we are followers of Christ. Mercy, peace, and love in this perspective, they don't exist outside of Jesus Christ. Someone, we can even give somebody mercy, give somebody grace, or receive grace temporarily. But the world in these things, they're predicated on the ever-changing conditions of the world. The difference here is God's mercy and his peace and his love are present despite those things. In the Lord, we have an everlasting help in his Holy Spirit. And, we, and Jude tells us that we have these things, that they are multiplied. Who here wouldn't want love, peace, mercy be multiplied to us? We all would. Romans 15, 13 says something similar. It says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, when I think about when I, when I write a letter, this is, you know, this is the beginning of the epistle. This is when Jude is talking to the church. When I write a letter or an email, I start with, hello, <laughs> or Hi. If I'm really feeling spiritual, it's, hey. (laughs) Clearly, I have a long way to go. But this is a beautiful introduction, right, to some pretty important words that we need to hear. But you, you hear the love that Jude has for the church in these words. And really, the, the love that Christ has for the church in the, in these words. You know, again, this apostasy started in the early church, but I would say that, you know, we see this even more prevalent today. Apostasy is a term that stems from the Greek word apostasia, meaning defection, departure, revolt, or rebellion. These are certainly good words to describe what we see going on. God's word, his truth, has been manipulated, changed, questioned, left out. And through these things, the hearts within the church grow colder and colder. And we also see this at a very accelerated rate. Understand that the enemy is working hard to destroy the union that we have with the Father through Christ. And this destruction is leading to more issues with us dealing in our flesh, living in the world, and even really taking on some of the characteristics that we see in the world. And all these things factor into the destruction. 
Here's a couple of figures, and I think, I think you have all probably heard or read these same figures for yourself, but it's certainly worth repeating. If you've never heard them, it's worth hearing for the first time. There was a Gallup poll that was taken about church membership. Now, this is just church membership, right? This isn't talking about believers. This isn't talking about, you know, those that, like, we don't have a church membership, per se. If this is your church home, you're home. Um, but many churches do have membership. And so in, in 1940, 73% of adults said they held membership to a church. 1940, 73%, which seems pretty good. In the year 2000, 70% of adults said they held church membership. So in 60 years, in the span of 60 years, we really see a, a percentage rate of 3% drop, which doesn't seem horrible at first. It's a drop, so it's bad. You would like to see that increase. I would like to see that increase. We all would, but it doesn't. It drops by 3%. Recently, that same poll was done, and only 46% adults say they held membership in a church. So it took 60 years to drop 3%. Just took a couple of years to drop a further 23%. And if you look at this study, this decline goes negative. And so if you like numbers like I do, you get the inclination that we are literally one generation away from numbers being so low, they're not measurable. So we definitely see, you know, Pastor Tim, when he was doing the prophecy series, was talking about how in the end times, in the latter days, things really start to begin to speed up. Well, if this isn't proof of that, I don't know what is. This is a very serious problem. Not a surprise, right? We're not surprised by these things. The Bible tells us, Matthew 24, 9 through 12, I don't have time to read all the verses, but it says in verse 11 that many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. We see that every single day. And because of lawlessness will abound, the love of many will go cold. The encouraging note here that in that same verse 13, the same chapter, it says, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. Praise the Lord for this. We have much to endure. We have much to fight in this battle. Do you guys believe it's a battle? Yes. It is. Let us never be deceived about that. All right. That was the nice part. <laughs> Let's get into the fun. So Jude says, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation. Jude was diligent. He was tenacious, driven, committed to write these things regarding our, our salvation, our common salvation. Now that salvation we know can only come about through Jesus Christ. In our normal Sundays, we're in the book of John. And John 
14, verse 6, it says, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is a verse that we all know. But so make no mistake, if we reject Christ, we have no place in the Father. If we reject Christ, there is no salvation, there is no church, and if we choose to walk away from our Savior, this is on us. It's not God's fault. It's not our brother or sister's fault. It's our fault. Think about David. When he sinned against the Lord with Bathsheba, remember when Nathan went to David after he had been with her? Now Psalm 51 talks about this, and Psalm 51 is a beautiful song and prayer of of repentance. But David says something in the first four verses that really kind of sets the stage. He says, Be gracious to me, God, according to your faithfulness, according to the greatness of your compassion. Wipe out my wrongdoings. Wash me thoroughly from my guilt and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my wrongdoings, and my sin is constantly before me. In verse 4, he says, Against you, you only, I have sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight, so that you are justified when you speak and you're blameless when you judge. So if we choose to walk away from Christ, he is justified to speak and blameless when he judges. We can't blame anything on him. But what we hear is, well, I prayed, I've been praying for 20 years, and that thing is still going on. And so we begin to walk away. Slowly, maybe, but we begin to walk away. He didn't answer the prayer the way that I had intended things to go. And so we begin to walk. God doesn't fit in our box that we want to put him in. He doesn't answer the prayers, our prayers, the way that we think they should be answered. And so who are we to then lay blame on him when we don't understand his answer? Don't be deceived. But we do these things and we begin to fall away. Even after death, remember Jesus rose. Paul was addressing the church in Corinth. And... (laughs) You guys know Corinthians. They really had their own set of issues to deal with. But Paul reminded us in that letter how Jesus appeared after he appeared to the the folks there. 500 brothers and sisters after that. Right? So 500 people in the church Jesus appeared to. And it says then that most remained, but some have fallen asleep. These people were a living testimony, a living witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and they walked away. We can't be deceived into thinking that we're not also susceptible to these things. It's only by God's grace. And so, 
Jude is diligent when he writes this epistle. We have to remain diligent in Christ. We have to heed these warnings. You know, all these things hinge on the finished work of the cross. Our salvation we have in him who bore our sins. Because you know who also is diligent? Satan, the enemy. He is much more diligent than we ever can be. And he says, Jude says, that for certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men, who turn from the grace of God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. You know who else crept in unnoticed? Into the garden? So Satan, or the men and women he uses, they creep in, most of the time unnoticed, just like sin. Sin starts off so small, it's just a little thing. It's okay. No, <laughs> it's not okay. Turn from those things, repent. Don't be deceived. You know, we all hear about how people start off in their walk. Maybe they're on fire for the Lord, really serving, and they begin to walk away a little bit, and they begin to start talking about these strange doctrines. Maybe they're promoting self in certain ways, trying to make the group bigger, right? They want an audience. They, want, they don't want brothers and sisters in Christ. They want an audience. You know, you, we do, you know, so this is hard. When we're followers of Christ, what is our position on certain things that pertain to politics, social justice? Now, I'm with Russ. We need to be calling our politicians. We need to be writing letters, voting, praying, even having prayer vigils. We've done this for many things. But what have we become? Have we read the comments in social media? We see the darkness and the hatred. And some of these comments are from us. Maybe some of us in this room. We're so quick to try to be right to try to make our point, to try to be relevant, to try to squash the injustice. There is injustice, absolutely. But that's not for us to fight. Are we not supposed to come alongside and pray and be a light and a witness to be a testimony of Jesus Christ? We're supposed to be the church we're made one by the Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters in Christ, living for Christ. Does our life reflect this? 
Or does it reflect really what's in our hearts, really what we put pen to page to show the other person up, to show how smart we are, the wisdom that we have, how wrong they are. Are we social justice warriors? Or are we believers and followers of Christ? I know it's not easy to hear. (laughs) It's not easy to say. And it's really not easy to think about. This isn't to intend to step on toes or to anger. But we need to hear this. Because in many times, oftentimes, we are part of the problem. Because even if we are silent, that's still part of the problem. There's sin of omission and sin of commission. And both are sinful. No, we are sons and daughters of the Most High God and our lives should reflect the love and compassion and grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are set apart and sanctified for His purpose. Our lives should reflect no different. We have to remember, folks, that this isn't our home. We're, we're, we're pilgrims, we're sojourners, we are passing through. And if we wave our flags and our banners, we reflect the world that we're in and not the God that we serve. We are to be the salt and the light. Matthew 5.13 says that. Is this what we want? And You know, 5.13 says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. I thought we agreed in the beginning that we wanted the mercy and peace and love to be multiplied to us, not to be trampled underfoot. So be careful. I encourage you, be careful how we use, and I say we, myself included, I'm no different, how we use social media. Be careful how we interact with our friends and our families and our coworkers, because it's not just social media. Our attitudes reflect our heart. Be careful. Before we respond in any way, whether it's through social media, whether it's through conversation, before we hit send, before we speak, we should pause and ask, what am I about to say? Does it truly honor the Lord? Does it edify the body? Does it show the grace that has been given to me? Can someone read it and see the love and compassion, see the new creation that we all should be by putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Or does it reflect the world? So there's that. So men, 
came unnoticed, who were marked long ago for condemnation. They turned from grace, turned from the promise, turned from Christ. We know this isn't new. This has been happening. We're reminded, um, you know, how... Because he says, we, we once knew... We once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterwards destroyed those who didn't believe. Jude wanted to remind the people because we need the reminding. As hard as it is here to hear this, we have to be reminded of these things. Jude says he reserved, he was, has been reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner. I mean, how much can be said about the sexual immorality, the strange flesh? We are a sinful, sinful people. And let's not just glide past past the fact that it says um that they, where he says, they have given themselves over to these things. This is a choice. We have made a choice to do so. We have made a choice to deny Christ. We've made a choice to go after the things of the flesh. To hit sin, when all we're doing is hurting people. Hurting ourselves. Hurting our walk. Being a really bad example of what a follower of Christ should be. It's our weakness, our blindness, and frankly, our stupidity that makes us do these things. And so no, just as David said, we have sinned against God. We have no one to blame but ourselves. That is what we deserve when he says, when you speak, you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge because really you guys know we all deserve judgment but it's by his grace we don't he goes on to say and this is an interesting passage he says um, he goes on likewise also the dreamers defile the flesh reject authority speak evil of dignitaries and yet Michael the archangel in contending with the devil when he disputed about the body of Moses dared not bring against him a reviling accusation but said the Lord rebuke you. And it's interesting because when you read the Bible, you don't hear about this conversation between Michael and Satan about Moses. Clearly something took place. So remember in Deuteronomy 34, we talk about the death of Moses at the age of 120 years. And it starts off Moses going up to the Mount Nebo. He was in the plains of Moab. The Lord showed him all the land that he had promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But he said, you shall not cross over there. And we know why. We know why Moses couldn't cross over. But then it goes on to say that Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, but no one knows his grave to this day. So what is Jude talking about? Well, you probably have done your own research here, but and there's a lot out here about this. But many points, early writings from church fathers like Clement of Alexander, that since Moses 
killed a man earlier in his life, he wasn't eligible to receive God's grace. He wasn't eligible to receive the proper burial, to receive salvation, to receive a relationship. And so Satan tried to prove his point. The archangel Michael had this conversation with him, but Michael being a humble angel knew it wasn't his place to try to prove his point, to try to rebuke Satan. He said, instead, the Lord rebuke you. So, folks, that should be our stance. When we're presented with an opportunity to share the love of Christ and it's met with opposition and anger and hatred and frustration and lies, it's not for us to rebuke. It's not for us to be right. It's not for us to try to prove our point. The Lord rebuke you. When we think about this dispute that took place and whether or not Moses was eligible for this beautiful gift of salvation, are any of us? No, of course not. Right? God's grace. But these speak evil, whatever they do, not know, whatever they know, naturally like brute beasts in these things, they corrupt themselves. Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain, run greedily in the air of Balaam for profit, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. So understand the things that we do for these righteous reasons. Unless they're of the Lord were mistaken, Paul, when he was Saul, truly believed he was doing God's will by trying to destroy the church. He really did. People who practice Islam devoutly believe that the things that they're doing, they're doing for God. doesn't make them right. It makes them deceived and furthering the enemy's agenda. But we're no different. And it's also true for those that are saying they're following the Lord, but they're spreading false gospel. They're completely rejecting pieces of the Bible, leaving them out of their teaching, acting as if they don't exist. Or if they do teach them, it's in the wrong context. That's not really what this means. It really means this. There's no difference. Don't be deceived. Jude says these people are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lusts in the mouth, great swelling words, flattering people. Paul, when he addressed, again, the brethren, remember, he says, I don't do this, I did not come in excellence of speech, because he didn't want it to be about him. Paul could have come in excellence of speech, because before he was one of the greatest apostles, he was a Pharisee. He understood the law, could teach it. He had the authority to teach it and did it very well. But he didn't. He purposefully didn't come in a position of authority, but he came humbled to only teach and preach Christ crucified because it's the power of the one that that we serve that sends us that deserves the honor and the glory, not ourselves. When we watch some of these pastors, they're in it for themselves. It's not that BS. 
One of the scariest verses that we read, I think it's one of the scariest, and I'm sure you all agree, Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, we have, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Those are scary words. These folks think they're part of the church. Because they're saying, Lord, Lord, you wouldn't say that unless you thought you were part of the church. And he says, depart from me, I never knew you. Paul tells us, again, when he was addressing the Corinthian church, that we have to examine ourselves. And this is for all of us. We have to examine ourselves as to whether or not we're in the faith. Test ourselves. He says, do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you are disqualified? Examine. Think about and pray about these things. Where are our hearts? Here's an easier way to think about this. Where are our hearts? What is our motivation? What is the outcome that we're striving for? Are we trying to be heard? Are we trying to be right? Are we seeking approval from men? All these things and many more. And don't quit. When things don't go our way, when we don't get what we think we want from Christ, He knows better, He knows best. Don't quit. Our lack of faith cannot be used as an excuse to walk away from Christ. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. Something that I know we're almost at time, but I think this point needs to be made. Early on, I had a hard time thinking about salvation and that we we know that we're a new creation in, in Christ. We know that all things are new. Old things have passed away. I had a really hard time thinking about that, though, because I still got angry on the road. I still got frustrated. I still wanted things in the world. And then there was a teaching that Pastor Tim did, and he read this, this verse, well done, good and faithful servant. We'll hear those words when we meet our Lord and Savior face to face. But he pointed out, he said he doesn't say, he says faithful servant. He doesn't say, or he doesn't say perfect, he says faithful. And, the, and I had read this verse before, but it was at that moment that the Lord revealed to me, because he says faithful servant, our faith is in him. He makes that possible. It's not what we can do or should do or shouldn't have done or anything else. God is faithful, and he, because of him, we can stand face to face, faultless before our Father, because of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Maybe somebody here needed to hear that. I don't know. Really quick as we close, you know, Jesus, uh, or um, in the Bible we talk about, you know, we hear about the uh, children of Israel and how often they turned from God. It's all throughout the Old Testament, reference to it in the New Testament. In chapter 1 of, of uh, Isaiah, he says, um, Oh, he starts off, 
Hear, O heavens, and give earth, give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner, the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people do not consider a less sinful nation. And he goes on with some many, many words similar to what we read in the book of Jude. Because it's interesting that as we are walking away from the Lord, there's still, we still practice some of the same things that we did as far as worship goes. Right? There's still some semblance of our Christian walk. But listen to what God says. When you come to appear before me, still in Isaiah, who has required this from your hand to trample my courts, bring no more feudal sacrifices. Incense is an abomination to me. The new moons and the Sabbaths and the calling of assemblies, I cannot endure iniquity in the sacred meeting. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They are trouble to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. God's talking to his chosen people who were in a similar position of betrayal to him as his church is today. Sobering words, folks. Fun message. In the interest of time, I'm going to encourage. When I, when I read these, I was, as Lord, I'm sorry, because I really have made a mess of things. We got to turn back to Christ. We got to run back to Him. Remember that verse we just talked about. Anyone in Christ, He is a new creation. All things have passed away. It says, "Behold, all things have become new." None of, none of us should ever want to pick up the old self. None of us should ever want to pick up something new and then be under that condemnation as well. Peter said it this way, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Gird up the loins. This is a battle. Before salvation, we were ignorant. Still not an excuse. But we couldn't comprehend how dark it is. We couldn't comprehend the sin that we were involved in. We didn't even know there was a battle. Satan wants to take back what he thinks is his. But God, we know with him, nothing can pluck us out of his hand. Our rest, our hope, is fully upon Jesus Christ and upon the cross and upon the cross he overcame sin and death we hear the, the verses oh death where is your sting oh Hades where is your victory the sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ he is our victory He is our victory. As we close this morning, 
heads. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up and play. And before we take the Lord's Supper, two questions. If there's anything that you heard today that spoke to you, before you take of the Lord's Supper, I'm going to ask that you repent. We want to make sure that when we take the Lord's Supper, we do so with the right heart, not out of disobedience. We take it because we get to. It's a beautiful blessing that we are able to do so with the right heart. If you need prayer afterwards for anything, we'll have people up here in the corners to pray. Does anybody here or online, you've never asked Christ to be your Savior with your heads bowed, raise your hand. We want to pray with you. We want to start you, come alongside with you, disciple. Anybody at home, raise your hand. Anybody here, raise your hand. We don't want to take it for granted. If we all know the Lord, let's pray that we examine ourselves. Ask Him to examine our hearts. Show us where we really are in Him and where He shows us our issues and our inconsistencies and our unrighteousness. Let us ask for His strength to repent. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, We thank you. We love you. Forgive us, Lord. We pray that you would heal us. Give us opportunities to make things right. Or that you would be first. We would set aside our own agenda. Set aside the cares and concerns of the world, Lord. That we would surrender our lives to you fully. And that you would be honored and glorified. Use us, your people. Lord, for your purpose. We love you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.